This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Hello, I'm Simon Stevens. Welcome to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. On April the 2nd, 1956, the English stage company led by George Devine and his associates, Lindsay Anderson and Tony Richardson, opened their first season here at the Royal Court in Sloan Square, London, with a production of Angus Wilson's The Mulberry Bush. It was their third production, Look Back in Anger, the first professionally produced play by a young actor, John Osborne, that established the theatre's reputation for leading the world in the production of new plays that were combative and controversial, challenging in form and content. It is a reputation that has grown over the last six decades and flourishes to this day. It's a reputation built on the idea that the playwright might be the artist at the centre of a night in the theatre. And over that time, the most significant playwrights in world theatre have seen their work produced here, from Edward Bond to Carol Churchill, Atoll Fugard to Alistair MacDowell. The theatre has become a forum for the best new plays in the world. Every week for the next 12 weeks here in the sound studio on level five at the back of the house, I'll be talking to some of the world's leading playwrights about their lives and their work, their approaches and their careers, and their relationships with the Royal Court. All the writers I love, many are friends. I think it's worth declaring those friendships, and I hope that the insight afforded into the community that playwrights work in in the UK will make up for any nauseating stench of nepotism. It's a real honour to be here and be part of this theatre's 60th anniversary celebrations. Since he exploded into the international theatrical consciousness with his full-length debut play Disco Pigs in 1997 and a Walsh has been a sparkling presence in European playwriting. His startling linguistic energy and formal restlessness have underpinned a 20-year-long excavation of a remarkable constellation of characters whose lives often counterpoint their loneliness and existential agony with the social mores and economic vicissitudes of the worlds they find themselves in. Translated into more than 20 languages, plays like The Woolworth Farce, The New Electric Ballroom, Mr Man and Bally Turk have been staged throughout the world. He's a successful screenwriter. His movie Hunger, co-written with director Steve McQueen, received widespread acclaim and won multiple awards. He's written sound installation pieces and adapted children's books. His Tony award-winning musical once enjoyed successful lengthy runs in the West End and on Broadway. Last year, he co-wrote the stage play Lazarus with David Bowie. And this summer, he's directing a new play at the Galway Festival. He is one of theatre's most successful director-writers. He turned down the opportunity of bringing Disco Pigs to the Royal Court in 1997 when it was in the West End, (laughs) when the Royal Court was in the West End. And so he made his debut in the theatre in 2000 with Bedbound in the theatre upstairs, surprisingly not returning to the Royal Court until last year's adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Twits. In some ways, The Twits, a show unapologetically and brilliantly for children, may seem atypical of an Ender Walsh play, but watching its energised combination of linguistic dissidence, body horror and the anger and anarchy of the outsider, I was struck too 
by how this is a writer who returns to his myths. Ender Walsh, welcome to the Royal Court. Thanks a million, Simon. <laughs> it's really nice to see you. Um, I ask the same question to all the people I interview uh, on yeah. these things, which is, um, when was the first time you went to the theatre? Oh, we went to, I think we saw a, a production of um, uh, an adaptation of uh, Wuthering Heights uh, that was on in Dublin, and we were... I was about 10 or 12 or so and we sat in the front row and we had a massive bag of Maltesers and we <laughs> scooted the Maltesers across the stage as the actors were trying to sort of act and you know and say their lines and no Heathcliff while a Malteser just sort of skidded past this poor lady's heel she actually became a, a very successful agent this lady and I said it to her years later and she went you were part of that that, that, what, that front row <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> and, this uh, is in a school trip. On a school trip, yeah. It wasn't so, your family. It was no, it wasn't, no, no, it was, it, was, it was a school trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, my teacher Roddy Doyle, the, um, my, he was my English teacher. He took us to it, and you know, like, um, and um, what? So no, hang on, we must have been about thirteen or so. So it wasn't mm. until I was about thirteen I saw. You didn't go with your family before that at all. We went to see sort of pantomime and stuff right. like that, which you know, which I loved. Yeah. And my mom was an actress, but my mom sort of like gave up acting like when so the six of us. So by the time I came around, she I'm second last. She'd given it up, and um, you know, uh, but so it was. Did you ever see you ever see her act? No, although bizarrely, I mean, like years later in the Abbey Theatre, they found out who my mom was, and they were going, "Oh God, you know, she did this sort of work, this really interesting work in the in the studio sort of theatre." But you know, like it was something that she never talked about when I was growing up about what Mm -hmm. she did, and she didn't sort of like she. You know, I don't know. At a later stage, she's, she opened up about you know the work that she would sort of make. But at that age, when I was about sort of thirteen, no, it was just pantomimes. What like pantomimes do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember going to pantomimes? Yeah, and I loved it. I mean, I yeah. still love them. I yeah. absolutely. I would love to write one, but uh, no one's ever asked me to to sort of like write one. And and maybe I'll you actually. might find after this podcast, you're inundated <laughs> with a series. And the Walsh wants to write I a pantomime. I was like that sort of music and the sort of crazy form, and how it sort of stops, and uh, you know you're watching a sort of, and you know like they they can start and start talking to you, you know like and mm. it reminded me, you know like like years later, you know when you're like you're working in Germany, you're going, oh right, they're yeah. doing this sort of real, exactly. sort of where they just smash it and they sort of walk into the audience and start chatting to you, and then we go back to the play and blah blah blah. Yeah, so the form of it was really is really really electric. To the, me. Yeah, uh, uh, Thomas Ostermeyer's Hamlet. Yeah. In which uh, Lars, what's his name? I always forget his name. Comes yeah. out as Hamlet and climbs over the state, uh, yeah. over the over the audience. That's just pantomime, <laughs> fundamentally. Ostermeyer yeah. just went to the panto when he was on the Royal Court International Residency, and he smuggled it back to Berlin. Yeah. As the <laughs> and I loved all that sort of thing. And also, mm. we had this wonderful woman, Maureen Potter, who went on to do some sort of Becca pieces, and she was about the sort of, she was about a meter in height, and she was just like this tiny, tiny woman. And uh, and she she learned of all the sort of girls and boys names and the sort of and and, and she would step out and then hand throw sweets into the audience and talk mm. to us and all that type of carry on and they go and now back to the play, <laughs> you know and and that's really ballsy and you know like you know I it would know, be it would be uh, it would be it would be irresponsible of me as an interviewer to mm. to gl- to pass over the comment Roddy Doyle who was my teacher yeah Roddy Doyle was your English teacher. yeah he was my English teacher yeah. So it was like, so it was terrific. It was like, you know, we were, yeah, I suppose we were like in first year, or like we were what, 12, 13, 14, 15. 
and 16 so I, I knew him for all those years yeah so yeah he was terrific That's five so. years of men yeah. from one of Europe's most important living novelists well what was great about and also and a great reader you know so like you know yeah. we were reading sort of like Bukowski when we were like 13 and sort of discussing it in the sort of like in the you know like the, you know like I'm going to think about it like, we're like, like, like I was from like a sort of like a lower middle class sort of family and the, all my mates were I, I went to the school was in this really working class area called Barrack and at the time in the sort of like you know you know, mid sort of like eighties, it was you know there was terrible unemployment and a big sort of heroin problem. But he really so like not just me, like all our mates, we got interested in you know beat poets and sort of like an in real sort of like linguistic you know show offy writers, but real like bah, 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 this sort of like writing. So we would discuss and read stuff to one while we were bumming cigarettes off one another. Like when you're fourteen, like I know in retrospect I can see actually that was quite I was I was completely blessed and lucky to have that sort of. What in. was he like as a teacher? Hilarious. I mean, just as he, because I mean, he he was just very very funny. We we finished the curriculum really quickly. You know, it was like that. That's done, and you know, and now like pff, opening all up this sort of wardrobe, just like full of extraordinary books, and you know, reading a lot aloud to us. And then we would sort of every Friday we would we would give in a short story, and we and and he would choose whose sort of story was the best. So on the Wednesday, you know, we'd all got sort of quiet. There we are smoking and go, saying, yeah, what what have you written? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Right. So on Thursday night, you would do corrections based upon the sort of like you know the the Wednesday conversations that you had in the yard, and sort of like, and then you get ready and give it in on Friday, and then he'd read them out on Friday. Yeah, sounds awesome. <laughs> the um the uh, one of the things that fascinates me about playwrights is uh, I think playwrights come to playwriting from one of two routes. They're either, as many of the people I've been interviewing on these podcasts are, people who start off as actors, yeah. who kind of like accidentally stumble into the theatre as... Oh, no, actors who, um, who, want, who, who, who are struggling to get jobs and, and so they write themselves a part or they just, you know, they're, they're, they're bored about the process of acting and so they want to write. Or they're uh writers who stumble upon theatre as mm-hmm. the form that most happily articulates what they want to say. Yeah. By the sound of it, you your background is more literary than it is dramatic. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. But there's a bit of both. I mean like I, I had a sort of I had a bit of a I had quite a, a little bit of a stammer like like during that those years and so like actually so uh, but but I was very jealous of uh, of the kids in school who could actually get up there and perform and mm-hmm. do stuff. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to be on stage. I, I love the idea of sort of like live performance, and I could mm-hmm. sort of see it. And I thought, oh god, that looks like such fun. And yet, you know, and and I did go in like a little later in my sort of early twenties. I acted on stage, but you know, but you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, there was a really sort of seminal moment for me is that like when I was a tiny kid when I was about eight I, I found this poem and it was a really beautiful poem and I said to my mum I wrote this poem do you mm. want to hear it and she went yeah I'd love you to hear it and it was a poem about death or something like that so I'm like eight or nine or whatever it is so I read this poem that I didn't write to my mum and she started crying and I was like and I was reading I can't remember what it was and I was, and I was looking up from the poem and I could see her just like going oh my god this is like and, and I thought oh this writing stuff is really, really powerful. And obviously, mm. you know, she's looking at her son who's like, who's using words beyond his years and written by whoever the hell it was. <laughs> but it was sort of like, it was a really, it was a really big moment. It was a really sort of like, you know, large moment. For it. It was like, actually, words can sort of like move someone and you can tell a story very, very quickly yeah. in sort of a short amount of words. You Did you study at university? Yeah, I did, yeah. Where did yeah. you go? I, did, I went to Rathmines because at the time was, I wanted to sort of make films I, don't, I, I thought that 
maybe I wanted to do art and I ended up doing film in Ireland which was just very peculiar because there was no film industry <laughs> but uh, but whatever about that and but I hated it because um did you make art as well did you make uh, visual art no I no. didn't I, I I mean I would have in fairness it would have been a better sort of fit for me I think if I did but mm. I ended up sort of like you know wanting to be in the film business and then really quickly sort of realizing that it was just full of guys and black polar necks and sort of you know like <laughs> sipping really bad coffee back then in the sort of late 80s in Ireland where I go what is this coffee thing you know like, and I sort of like but I, it wasn't my and actually I just wanted a lot I wanted to get involved in live performance mm. I you know and, and I, I you know, went to see a lot of bands and yeah. I, I like that sort of thing of like what happens when it hits the air yes. you know like and you know like a, you know, on a stage that seemed like a much more sort of creative sort of potentially disastrous were you living of, in like, Dublin as a teenager were you raised in Dublin, yeah. Who did you uh -huh. see? Who was playing in Dublin in the eighties? Or well, well, we had some great bands. I mean, you know, the Virgin Prunes were a great band. Yeah. Were, which were which you two stole all their sort of best yeah. ideas and then sort of made it sort yeah. of real. But they were a great band, and um, I don't know. But we had all the sort of bands that you guys sort of like. Yeah, so, so I was who, a big so Smiths who, fan. And who were you? Who, what gigs do you remember? Susie and the Banshees, I suppose. Right. You know, they would have been. Yeah. <laughs> that, that type of thing. I mean, it was yeah. like a post-punk sort of, you know. You're sort of you're sort of age. Yeah, so. exactly. No, I'm trying to a think. I'm trying to think because it was really similar to me. And the the art the live art form I mm. most engaged with was live music, much more than yeah. theatre. Yeah. I remember seeing. I saw Pixies eight times. Yeah. And the Fall, but seeing the Fall in going to see the Fall in Manchester is it's it doesn't really count as going to a gig. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said to me once. They said, "Were you in the Fall?" Because like everybody in Manchester of a certain age was kind of in the Fall at some point. <laughs> But so Susie and the Banshees is quite that's quite a yeah. particular one. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, no, and, no, and very that. heightened theatricality from Susie Sue and Budgie and all yeah, those no, guys. I, love all, I loved all that. In fact, the piece that we're making this year, Arlington, we're using her version of Helter Skelter in it, and it's just a crack Which is and crack. Great, crack and I tune, love yeah. the Susie and the Banshees version. Of that. <laughs> yeah. You wanted to be a musician. I read because I do research for these things, and the research is well, definitely involves reading the Wikipedia page <laughs> and like two interviews on the Guardian. But you're you're a Guardian whore. You're all over the Guardian. No, but you know what? I would have, I would have, I would have like, I would have loved to be. I mean, you were in a band, right? But I would have, mm. and and, but I would have loved it, and I love sort of like you know, I love, you know, singing back then and all that type of thing. And, and did you did. sing? Were you a singer? Yeah, I was in a really bad band when I was in sort of college called, you know, it was a punk band that we did sort of like fast versions of you know Lionel Richie songs and shit oh, like that. Oh, that's great. So Which it was hello, really quite like punk versions of Hello. Yeah, and dancing, dancing on, on the ceiling. ceiling. <laughs> And it was just it was just embarrassing, really. But it was great because I just feel like I sort of do you know what? But I've always loved that sort of like that thing of like going. It barely exists. It's gonna be blown over. It's gonna fall on its face. Yeah. It's gonna fail. Mm. I love that. I've always loved this sort of sense of the next second it's gonna it's gonna stop. Which defines what it is to make theatre. Yeah. I, that's a fundamental sort of thing. It's going to go. Nothing exists until actually you say the next thing. Mm. So it makes it very. And you know, like, and I always go back to that. I always go back to that with sort of when I'm directing actors, but also as a, you know, as a writer when you're when you when you don't feel when the feel when the piece feels completely directionless and it has no future, then I'm at my happiest. When did you write your first play? <laughs> uh, we, oh, I suppose when I was about. 18 or something like right. that I, I wrote this this uh, one act 
um, piece called Insipid, which it was. And it was sort of like it was a it was a three song sort of like a, it was there were three songs and it was a it was a ridiculous sort of musical. And I ended up in it and I sort of I, I ended up and, and then I learned a little bit more from being on stage and da da da. And I thought, mm, you know, OK, this is the way this is what it feels like to be sort of on stage with this work. And all that was, was this in Dublin or was this in, in Dublin? Right. Because you moved. To- I didn't move to Cork okay. until when, when I, until I was about 22. Two twenty-three or something like that. Right. And because I think everyone in Ireland at the, or in Dublin at the time, they were a little bit older, you know. And anyone who's <laughs> or as my mom would say, they were they were a little bit too Protestant for me. And <laughs> sort of like, and I was going, and they were like, sort of, they were like educated, and they were sort of Trinity College sort of people, and da da da, and they were a bit older than me, but and you know, I didn't really sort of like, and I wanted, I wanted them. I knew at that stage, I thought. Oh God, you know, I did that sort of film thing. It's not going to work. I want to be on stage. I want to sort of try and make stuff in a wherever it is in the corner of a room. You know, mm. that would be enough. Mm. And uh, but I found myself in Cork, like down there, and sort of hanging out with people who were exactly like me. You know, the same sort of age, same cluelessness. You know, the same addictions to uh, you know everything, and sort of like, and you know, like we had we had just like great fun for a number of, like a few years trying to make work together right and we started we started you know and this was Kirk Adarka, this yeah. this 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 company and we started this like style of theater that really we were you know and we were involved in the club scene in Cork and yeah and all of that sort of business and but but but, but we, we began to and we were performing in you know outside of theaters and in sort of clubs and people sort of look at our work and I was the designated sort of writer and why was that why did they designate writing to you well you know I sort of like I made myself that because we were pretty chaotic sort of group but on the basis that I actually sort of I like to spend sort of like time by myself and yep. the rest of them just wanted to be in each other's faces mm. all the time did you go to Cork to f- uh, for Kirkadurka or, or I I sort of heard about them right and sort of like and I went down there and I I was working with another company where I was acting and then when that job finished I sort of like I met up with Pat Kiernan who was running it and I yep. said Oh Christ, you know, and I said I've got this play that I wrote in Dublin, but I should sort of rewrite it, and it's called The Ginger Ale Boy. It's about a, a ventriloquist who has a nervous breakdown, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he said he laughed and and uh, 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 you know because his <laughs> and uh, you know previously his, his his last year he had a balloon folding act that went wrong, and, <laughs> and now he's performing a sort of like a, a ventriloquist ventriloquist act in front of the like in the community centre. And he thinks that the, dog, the local dogs are going to eat him, and uh, and you know like it was sort of like it's really it was, and it was also a musical. There was like there were three ridiculous songs in it, you know, but uh, but there was something in it, and I knew that I was sort of aping pretty not great writers at the time, sort of like you know I mean I should I have to be very careful about this, but I was aping certain writers that you know like now that I can see actually they're not great playwrights, but I I, I needed to sort of ape someone and I suppose like every young actor you sort of you first attack language and sort of look at language and use language and outside of that you don't know for me at that stage I didn't know what the fuck I was doing yeah. I mean, I still don't, but at least back, at least back then, I, I really, really didn't. And all I knew that I thought, oh, theatre is all about language, isn't it? And I thought, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do, I'll do that. So I'll start sort of like, you know, like you know, putting words together and sort of sentences together, that smash off one another, and you know, so an audience just feel like, whoa, mm-hmm. wow, wow, there's something going on mm-hmm. here. While 
there wasn't a great deal going on there apart from fireworks of of, of language, you know. Yep. I must say. And yeah. disco pigs came out of that experience. Yes, that was the biggest firework, and it was sort of, and it was, and it's sort of, and it's it's really naive piece, you know. But some, sometimes the best sort of like you know pieces do hit the air and they're super naive and you, and you naive think, in what sense? It was sort of like it was really. <sighs> This, the story, I'm not great on story, but the story as such was very, very simple. You know, the yeah. sort of breakup of a sort of like a, you know, of a relationship, la, 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 and these two 17-year-olds. And so that and the form of it was based over sort of two days, you know, mm-hmm. like where, you know, the relationship breaks over sort of two days. And so that that both those things together just seemed really, you know, like, you know, you know, were very simple to understand. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I put everything on the language. And yeah. and I suppose the one good idea that I had, I suppose, from it was like, I'm going to teach the audience a language yeah. and then I'm going to deny them sort of like, then I'm going to rob them of that sort of like, of that language. So they're going to learn it and they're going to sort of invest in it. They're going to know it. And then I'm going to stop using that language. Huh. And, you know, like, and, and so so the, what they're watching is just the sort of the death of not the relationship, but just like of much bigger than that, the, you know, of a, of a thing that sort of existed, a world that existed. And now it just doesn't now. And that seemed like, I mean, that was a good idea. It's a really good idea. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the um, t- Do you remember the process of writing that play? Because the, mm. I mean... I've reread it recently, and what's yeah. startling? I mean, the the linguistic force remains yeah. startling twenty years later. Yeah. Do you remember the process of inventing the language, or or was it intuitive? Was it? I did that sort of thing. Cognitive. I, I think I did did that <clears throat> thing that some some people do. I started like writing a lexicon. Like and it lasted for about forty five minutes. I went, no, 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 I'm just going to write this, and right. then I just like wrote it. And um, but you know, like it was. You know, it was a very sort of personal thing. I was breaking up with my girlfriend at the time. La la la. It was sort of like, but actually, I look at it and I was going, I was going, you know, it's honest, mm. and you know, like, and and it's kinetic. You know, like there's mm. sort of like, you know, like, and it's quite sort of unstable. It's like, like you know, a load of instruments being sort of played and then thrown down by down a cliff while they're still being played. It's sort of like, <laughs> it's sort of like what the f-? you know, so it feels like Jesus, like sort of like out of control ish. When did, what year did you write it in? I think in about like nineteen ninety six. Because not this so it was taken to Edinburgh in ninety seven. Yeah. 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 And that summer in Edinburgh in ninety seven was a really important summer for me. Yeah. I had a play in the assembly rooms which nobody saw. We yeah. like, had played to four people, but it felt as though Edinburgh in that summer, yeah. there was disco pigs, there was knives in hens. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, they revived shopping and fucking and brought it up there. Yeah, that's it right. It felt as though something was happening with playwriting. Yeah. Do, do you remember that time? I do. Do you remember that experience? I do, do because we were sort of, like, we were making work in Cork for our yeah. Cork audience. Suddenly, like, and we brought like in 96 we brought Disco Pigs to Dublin and then everyone was like whoa what's this and we were like going oh but before that we knew that we were onto something and mm. it wasn't my writing so much as actually sort of everything around it like we were sort of like the the, the your man's direct Pat's direction mm. and the sound design and everything from the lights everything was like boom, boom. we were really confident and um but yeah, when we brought it to Edinburgh, yeah, I must say, and it, and it sort of blew up, and then it was it traveled the world for years. Mm. But like, but it was like it was like going ooh, and I can remember people talking about, you know, like my generation of writers, like Sarah and Mark, mm. and uh, um, 
and me like and it was sort of like we were being talked about in this sort of like this fucking in a derogatory sort of way in this sort of like in your face theatre and I was going what the, are we arriving and people were going oh disco beats oh yeah it's like the sort of train spotting but it's in Ireland and I was and I just I turned around and went fuck you I mean my piece is a, it's a romance I've yeah. written a sort of romance it's yeah. got nothing to do with sort of the swagger of anything like that yeah the swagger in that but it's 17 year olds for god's sake I mean it's like clueless sort of individuals were you writing were you uh, you you were older? You were twenty four when you wrote it. Twenty five. No, I was uh, I was I was twenty twenty eight when I wrote it. So you yeah. were consciously writing seventeen year olds yeah. as naive characters. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And at the same time, trying to sort of hold on to some, I don't know, some you know sense of you know me. But heartache at any sort of age is yeah. sort of just heartache. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're like 14 or 54. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of like you know, it's it's a real like yeah. bloody grounds here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the um, by the sounds of it, the the success of yeah. that play blindsided you a little, or did it, or or what was it like? It to... did. I mean, it was good. I mean, let's face it. You know, like when you've gone of... 10 years then from being an 18 year old going yeah. to a film school, and we were making, and I was, and I was, I was still sort of going, oh, maybe I'll act. You know, maybe I was sort of like, and then I was going, no, 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 I'm not going to act. I'm just going to sort of write. But, you know, I mean, my 20s was pretty chaotic. Like any yeah. sort of 20s, there was a lot of, you know, drinking and drugs and, yeah. you know, like on heartache and all that type of thing. But, you know, there wasn't a prize. I never had, you know, I still don't. I'm not very good at that. I was sort of having an eye on, on the prize. Mm. You know, like it's sort of like, a, um, but, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, the success of it, yes. I mean, you know, it, it, it did catch us, but it was great. But like, we were going, oh, yeah, well, our work is that. And we're sort of, you know, you know, and it was not, you know, when you when you go, you know what it's like when you go and you go and you see work in Germany and you're working in the Schaubühne and you go, actually, I really like what they're doing. And our work is, we're showing our work with them and trying to sort of figure out things. And you go, oh, yeah, well, these are my contemporaries in a different sort of like yes, country. So you feel good. You feel yeah. like you're 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 sharing something and trying to learn something. How much? What's my question? I think my question is that moment of Disco Pigs taking you out of Cork, back mm -hmm. to Dublin, out to Edinburgh, yeah. out to London where it played at the Bush, and then yeah. I saw it at the Arts Theatre in oh, the yeah, in the West End, yeah. yeah, and then all over the world. Yeah, um, uh, I l it's fascinating hearing you talk about the Shelburne. How Irish do you feel? How European do you feel? Are you an Irish playwright or a European playwright? Or is that the stupidest question? Do you know you've what? been asked for a while? No, no, I, no. It hasn't. <laughs> it isn't actually. But I do feel Irish. I do feel like I do feel. I look at my work, and and people over here and people around the world might sort of look at the work and they go, and they will never see it. But I see like you know like echoes and images and sort of like things that like are playwrights of various sort of Irish playwrights from yeah. the past Which I can see that well I mean pff, Jesus um, O'Casey Busico Beckett obviously yeah. you know like but um, Kilroy you know like a uh, bit of sort of Tom Murphy sometimes yes. you know but like there's there, there, you feel the presence of you know like and I've never, you know, we've got, of course, a huge Irish sort of playwriting sort of tradition. But like, and people go, oh, Jesus Christ, do you feel like, you know, the pressure and what's it like? And, you know, you fucking, you, do you feel like you're aping someone? I've never felt like that. I feel like actually you're, I mean, direct sort of conversation with them. Great. And going, this is what you've done. So the thing I'm working at the moment, I keep on thinking about the silver tassie. And I think, oh, right, how a Casey sort of like introduced this sort of, 
this in the first act this realism of this sort of situation of this guy before he's going to go to war and then that middle act is about the war and it fucks it up and it, and it comes at you sort of linguistically and also from a form point of view he's sort of like he somehow sort of um, he like sticks a needle into the sort of first world war and sort of injects it into the form of sort of theatre and it's all broken and shagged and then the third act has a sense of that but it has the realism of the first act and it wasn't until I was working with the guys this week about it, I was going, oh, Christ, I think I've nicked. I think I've nicked. I can yeah. see I can see what sort of like, oh, Casey did in the Silver Tassie. And I'm in some way actually probably trying to do a similar thing. I this. love that notion of having a conversation with the tradition that's come before us. I yeah. think it's really fundamental. Yeah, but you feel, do you feel that? Completely, yeah, completely. And, and it's sort of like, it's not... And, it's not and, and, and back thousands of years... Yeah. So I kind of read Euripides and read him as another playwright like me, yeah. <laughs> making decisions in the same, you know, about how do you get actors on and off stage, yeah. which are the same kind of decisions that we make. Yeah. yeah Interviewing absolutely. is really interesting because uh, in, in a classic kind of Irish way, you have a barrage of language. Yeah. You talk with amazing energy. Yeah. The, uh, and I'm putting in mind of something that Sean Holmes, who's the artistic director of the yeah. Lyric Hammersmith, where I've worked for 10 years nearly now, said about Irish writers, he said the thing with Irish writers is they use language to as 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 an assault mm -hmm. to evade. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's an Irish culture. It's no, an, it's Irish, an cultural Irish thing. thing. Like the Estonians we worked with when we made Three Kingdoms, yeah. as, as a self-protection would stop talking. Yeah. So you have a conversation with an Estonian, they hardly talk. But an Irish person, the conversation is a barrage of language to protect. Is that bullshit or is, that, no, is Sean it, Holmes onto something? No, there? there is something to it. I mean, I always think, well, also, I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm from the, you know, I feel like just incredibly inarticulate as a person and, and you know, and uh, that I'm sort of representing also a very sort of, you know, inarticulate sort of barrage -y type of fucking nation. So it takes a thousand words to say three words. But when those three words come out, yeah. it's the journey towards that. It's the sort of like, that's what you're looking at. It's sort of like, it's all about the race. It's all about the struggle towards that, you know, like towards yeah. the clarity of that. And people are sort of seeing that. And I think a lot of, I feel like, well, there's a lot of plays like that. Yeah. You know, like I can only sort of think of it from a sort of an Irish point of view that what we do is that we investigate identity. That we're here, we're sort of like the second rock, you know, like on the edge of Europe. And we're looking sort of towards, you know, like, you know, the big brother of sort of Great Britain and our complicated history. Mm. And then the romance of sort of America and all that type of thing and the amount of sort of sea. So it's like, it's you feel as if you've got to fucking shout your corner, but you're not you're not certain what you're shouting for. <laughs> so a lot of it is actually sort of the investigation of sort of identity. Mm. It's the sort of analysis of who the hell you are and where you are in the moment. Like a lot of the great Irish writers, you're you're not living in Ireland. You've no. You've lived in London for how long now? I think it's like, I always say sort of 10 to 12 years because I'm really bad at maths, but I think it's sort of, it could be 10 to 14, like 13 right. years now. And a family in London. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like a Londoner? I do, yeah. And I think it's sort of it's good for a writer to be sort of like outside. I mean, you're outside of your city and yeah. and you know and I know you write about your sort of city a lot and yeah. and it's like because I attach myself to an audience in Ireland. I show my work a lot in Ireland before I bring it anywhere else. Yeah. But I do need it's not sort of perspective about the island, it's perspective about myself. You know, like it's sort of like I'm not talking directly about sort of like Ireland, what it is to be Ireland, because I don't know what that is. But somehow living outside of Ireland gives me a sort of perspective about who the hell I am. Very good. Do you know, so yeah. that I feel that, you know, I mean, I don't know. Do you read your plays? 
like what after. Like when was the last time you read Disco Pigs or Walworth Farce or New Electric Ballroom? I, well, then I don't read my plays right. because I do them and then I don't read them and sort of and you know I'm proud that you know it's a weird thing, isn't it? Sort of like you write something. You're like a really bad lover a lot of the fucking time. Is the, is the truth? You're sort of you're so attached to something. You love it, and sort of you're in it, and the world, and you step away from it, and you go, "I'm no longer involved in that." Yeah. Like for me, anyway. That I, and I and I look at sort of like how, and I, yeah, I don't return to them, and but in the moment, I, I I of course I give them all my attention. Or go and see revivals of them, or I do, but I find that difficult. Too. Right. I find it difficult, and I sort of like. Like one of the one of the advantages or disadvantages about if you do like when I read my old plays, I'm always surprised that uh, images or lines or ideas recur yeah. in plays which I completely was committed to making original and unlike anything I've ever yeah. written. I found that I returned to the same shit. Yeah. If you've not if you're That's not rewriting, why. are you aware of those myths recurring in your plays or? Or, or, or do you just... Yeah, no, similarly, I'm not aware of them, but I think they do come back. And I think it's sort of, you know, I think we're sort of just circling ourselves. And I think that's fine. You know, like, you know, I don't think you ever sort of beat yourself up and go, Jesus Christ, and I can't escape this. Because I look at the structure of my plays and I go, you know, from an academic point of view, and I go, oh, right, I'm writing the same play and I've written the same play for 20 years. <laughs> you could, know, you, could you say what that play was? Well, okay, I'm really sort of like, I, I, because, you know, I suppose as a boy, you know, like I had a little bit of a stammer and I, I was afraid of sort of claustrophobic situations, you know. Yeah. I placed my characters in those, yeah. you know, you know, you know, one room sort of dwellings where they're, they're, they're inarticulate and, and their relationship is with sort of like memory, but it's a bad sort of like memory. And also they're sort of, they're plays about, they tend to be sort of plays about, oh, it's a really fundamental thing, you know, when you sort of walk into the theatre and go, and as an audience, the curtain opens and the lights come up and you go, OK, where am I? As an audience, you ask that question. Well, I constantly sort of, that's my big thing, is that I ask that question all the, all the time in the plays and then I never answer it. <laughs> and sort of like, you know, but I'm very sort of, so I've been doing that for, I feel as if I've been doing, I've been circling around sort of claustrophobic, sort of inarticulate sort of people who are, who are trying to sort of work out where they are and they don't fully work out where they are. That's really brilliant. It's really, one of the things when I watch your plays and read your plays, I, I think that's a really astute reading. But also, I do get a sense that there's a, that if the characters aren't aware of where they are, yeah, the writer has imagined a pretty comprehensive world in which they are. Maybe, maybe I don't though. It's sort of like, it's the maddest thing, sort of some, but like, or maybe it isn't the maddest thing at all. Is that like I'm really, really quite clueless about it. So like I begin on, on, on line one and I push my way through it in right. the same way that an audience are pushing their way through it. Is that, I was going to ask you about your process. Is that, yeah. and that, is that what you've done with all of the plays? With all of them, I must say. And lately, you know, like I've just given myself into that. I sort of like to charge the second and, and have that sort of sense of actually that the second is really charged. What do you that, mean? Like, you know, the, the moment that you're in, yeah, you know, is, right, is right. really, really, really important. Is, yeah. is that you are building on that, but you're building towards nothing, maybe. You know, like, mm. and but you're build, but as you're pushing forward, you you're collecting sort of history behind you. Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of sort of like plays, sort of like so you're existing for an audience. From an audience point of view, you're pushing forward in the second, and they're sort of like you know collating sort of history as we pass through the play. And when you're writing those plays, when you're imagining second by second, are you thinking linguistically, or are you imagining stages or actors? 
I'm really sort of like imagining just the sort of the dynamic of what that actor, what that character is going through in the moment. Do you see actors? Because you return, like Killian Murphy's the obvious, but Michael Murphy as well, and other actors you've returned to. Do you write for actors? Uh, I do. Anybody called Murphy? Any called Murphy? I know. We had had that conversation. I know. I'm working my way through the Murphys in Ireland. (laughs) I could be. I could be writing for the next four hundred years. And, and uh, yeah, there's a bit of that, all right. But no, I sort of like, you know, I do write for voices and I write for, because I sort of, like, I'm very, very, I, I, you know, like I know them, I, I get very close to, not close to being, but I sort of, I'm a good friend. Like, I want to sort of write sort of a conversation, like an impossible, like a conversation that myself and Killian would never have or myself mm. and Michael would never have together. Mm. And sort of, so, but we're, we're talking to one another, like, because we're like, we're, fucking, we're men and that. But, you know, we're theatre men, so we're not real men, let's face it. <laughs> but, you know, like, but I want a sort of like an invisible, I want a sort of like an invisible secret conversation that we can have. So we, about, you know, who we are as people and la la la. And, you know, so I'm pushing buttons in them and then, you know, they're throwing stuff back at me. And do you write for that? You write for their voices. Do you write for their bodies as well? Because then, yeah, because your your work is so visual and visceral. Yeah, I do write for their bodies, and more and more, I think in the last maybe seven years, it's become about the body. It's yeah. become about like, you know, the the pressure, the pressure of the sort of like it's become about people and environment you know the you know like so yes it's rooms and stuff like that but what's outside of the room and mm. what are the rules of that sort of room and what is the pressure and what it, you know that thing about like what we we're talking about you know there's you know nothing will exist until someone actually sort of moves an arm or sort of like says a line and you know when you break it down and you give that sort of information to a character or you go to the character well actually the next move is the most important move well then suddenly the room is charged in a different way and it's taking it outside of story and it's putting it into the body. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's no longer about story. Story is like, for me, I've always been, I've had a difficult relationship with story and it's sort of like, so, so, but I've got a very good relationship with the real fundamentals of uh, existence and what is your next moment going to be. Do you write for theatres as well? Do you write? Do you see theatres in your head when you, in the way that you'd see an actor or you'd hear an actor's voice? Do you see stages? Are there stages you write for, or are you less interested in that? I'm sort of less interested in that, but I, I, I found myself in the last sort of while now writing for Galway, right. like in in the west of Ireland, because, because uh, first of all, it's a fantastic festival, it's an awesome festival, and your work is going to show there, which I'm really excited about. This, <laughs> this is oh, going to be awesome, yeah. and it's you. Anyway, but anyway, we will talk <laughs> later about that. I'm I'm going to try and drag you over there. It's the, it's the best town, and you know. But also, you feel like I feel in a similar way. Like I mean, I know you you write about your hometown and. Yeah. And so beautifully, and then I would love to see your work in that hometown and how that sort of is, and you know. Right. But 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 now people in Galway are getting to know my work over the last seven eight years, yes. and I love people who come up to me in the pub and go, "What are you doing? <laughs> do you know what I mean?" And sort of like, "What are you at? What are you trying to do? What is that about?" You know, you have to. You know, I mean, I had like these two old women sort of like, and it was the best thing. It was one of my, it was the highlights of my life. You know, I was walking down Shop Street in Galway and I heard this, Enda, from across the sort of road. And I went, and, and I looked up and there was two women like with a shopping and got, we saw the play last night. And I went, oh, thank this Bally Turk. And I went, oh, thank you. And he went, yes, yes, yes. You must unriddle this play for us. It's driving us insane. 
<laughs> and I just loved it. And I thought, and I went over to them and I said, I said, well, what are you? And they were asking me, and I was going, end of what? I mean, what happened? What's the ending? What's, I mean, what's all that about? And what's the world? What are the rules of it? And all this type of thing. And I said, well, what do you think? I said, you get involved. It's just about me. So you bought your tickets. You get involved in the conversation. See, we are. We are in the conversation. We're talking to you. So we started talking about it. It was awesome. It was sort of like, you know, and I feel that, you know, that, you know, that you want to. I mean, I don't sort of like throw out the work to frustrate an audience or bamboozle them in any way. It's about actually sort of like going, oh, you know, let's like work can be like that. It doesn't have to be literal yeah it doesn't have to be completely story driven and that's but that space of interaction when yeah. you talk about it and the way you talk about it strikes me as being particularly and uniquely theatrical yeah you know coming from the great literary oh, no. city of dublin the writer's city yeah that you've not written prose yeah uh, you've made films yeah you strike me you know the, you, your mojo seems to be in the theater rather than wow, it's so dangerous it's everything about it is feels to me just feels so 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 fucking dangerous that it's just about to collapse. It's the will of yeah. the audience. It's the audience willing it to ha to work. Yeah. You know that we're relying on them to imagine it. We're hitting the air with sort of you know you know like you step outside you go Ooh, you go Ooh, okay you're pretending right you are pretending to be a character and these are lights sort of pretending yeah. and the audience will it. So we're sort of caught into this sort of relationship of sort of dreaming together. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's, I, I, and, and I love that. articulated. And I, I always have that. a great faith in audiences. And when people are suspicious of audiences, the, um, I, 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 I get very jumpy because I think audiences are there for us. Yeah. And they rarely let us down. Yeah. They let us down much less than we let them down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely. it's really, really And you can wonderful. open a door. You can open a door in a piece for an audience that, you know, you think in the... You know that suddenly, and you can feel it in the theater that the audience will allow you to do that, and they'll go, "Yes, do that." You know, mm. do that structurally or whatever, or, mm. or thematically, you break it and you bring it somewhere else, and you know, musically, it sort of travels in some sort of area. And yeah, anyway. when when but and, uh, given the understanding of the thematic considerations and the musicality, and you talk all the time about music as being, you know, yeah. the metaphors you resort to are musical metaphors. Yeah. yeah? Um, uh, given that, uh, and the way you write, which is just second by second, moment by moment, um, the uh, how do you how do you how do you manage marry the two? Are you a are you a, a relentless redrafter? When are you aware of the gesture of the whole play rather than the second by second thing? I sort of like I you do there is a bit of sort of crafting that goes on later, but I don't like too many sort of ha like my my hands and my head. On, I don't like too much sort of investigation of it. I sort of like I go, oh, there's something in the instinct. It might be sloppy and it might be sort of broken and might and mightn't be crafted. Do you? Don't but there's something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes you know you make something and then you craft it later and then you then you kill it. Yeah. And that's a fucking bugger. And you and then you can't undo it, because you've sort of because you've already stamped a bit of craft on it and then you try and undo that and then it's anyway it's broken. Most of your plays you direct yourself. Is now, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you enjoy that? Are you able? Do you Love rewrite that. in rehearsal, or is the end of Walsh playwright and the end of Walsh director two different? I'm a pretty. I'm a pretty. They're they're two different people, but I'm pretty good. Sort of like a cutter, you know, like a sort of like I, I cut like a sort of skim lines and stuff like that, and but sometimes I'm sort of like I'm reading stuff and go, oh, you know what? 
it's sort of like when plays are bigger than you, you know, yeah. you're sort of writing something and something is bigger than you, then it feels really, really good for me. Like, so when I'm directing a piece and I'm thinking, oh God, I don't need to sort of like, I don't need to close it down and sort of like, and make it a sort of like a understandable thing for an audience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And certain directors, that's why I would fear, I would give them to something and they would, they would shape it and make it, you know, with even within its own terms, a logical sort of edible thing. Mm. And, you know, like a noble thing. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't need to see that. And I suppose that like, you know, so I've got like, uh, um, I trust, I just trust, I really, really, really trust pushing the audience like a little bit further. The two directors who've, uh, who you've worked with that I know of, uh, most publicly have been John yeah. Tiffany who directed once yeah. and Eva Van Hover who we've both yeah. worked with who, who yeah. directed Lazarus what, yeah. as a director or as a writer what did you learn from John or Evo? oh well, they're very 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 different directors and mm. sort of like uh, Evo puts everything he seems to put everything on the actors it's all like yeah. it's all about he turns actors into animals mm -hmm. and stuff like that while John has got like you know and Evo has this as well Evo has got like a great sort of you know, you know he really he makes extraordinary worlds and stuff like that yeah. and John has that too he's sort of like he, he sort of he, he's just he's, uh, he, he, he knows how to sort of like you know make great sort of like the, like, like theatre that's going to sort of like you know I don't know what was it like making once? it was sort of like a holiday away from myself so like I mean like and anyone who knows me you know they think oh you lucky bastard <laughs> uh, if only we could get away from you and have our own once and that's not true but uh, uh, but but sort of like I loved doing it I sort of like I thought you know it's really sweet but also I knew what the craft of it needed to, to be mm. and you know I knew how it needed to sort of hit the air for that type of sort of audience and it was the and first adaptation you've done was it and it was yeah and I'm not a very sort of like I mean I, I would be very sort of like nervous adaptator of sort of like of stuff and it's not really I'm, it's not really my thing. It's I'm not very good at it, but you know I, I'm. It's not. I just I just don't have that brain, you know. And anyway, but uh, but I, I I managed to sort of do that. But but actually, but the best part of that work was was not mine, but the productions. Mm. They actually they made it very very beautiful. How did you enjoy or uh, or not enjoy? How were you affected by the success of the show? I really I I. I enjoyed it because you know what it's like. It's sort of like, you know, we write so much, you write plays and da da da. And sometimes it's great to actually sort of write a play that you go, oh, now I don't have to worry about money. Yeah. So, like, and that is a great thing. You just go, actually, yeah. and now I can do that and do this and da 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 and all that type of thing. But it is quite funny. You know, there are people in America who still go, what you did with that show, I mean, you, you just, it's like, it's the perfect date show ever. <laughs> Heterosexual people, homosexual people, old people, young people. Everyone has to see this show once. And, you know, I get it. I sort of like get it. And I was involved in sort of like making that show. And then there's, and then you hear like, and then the real story is like those American producers go, oh, Ender Walsh, yeah, I mean, that guy's a genius. I mean, I wouldn't want to see one of his shows, but like, you know, I believe he's a genius, right? I mean, 
<laughs> and you think actually that's what the real thing is. is but in 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 the so Twitch is the other adaptation. Yeah. I don't know Lazarus, but in but even in those shows, the the things which you talk so beautifully about, yeah, they're kind of present. They are sort of present, and it's sort of like, and then it's the it's like the aesthetic of how you know they're sort of presented. Yeah. And I I mean like I mean I I really enjoy the twists. And of course, of course, there was a part of me that was going, oh God. And this is hard for me. And it's really, and I he did, and John did a fantastic job. But like, it's really, you know, I go, and Eva did a fantastic job on Lazarus. Mm. And it's so weird, you know, like when you sort of direct your own work and then you see someone else's sort yes. of aesthetic. And I you can't go, imagine, I've never directed it. Oh, yeah, oh, that's what it is. And it's sort of, you know, like that's... Is it how do you understand your own aesthetic? It makes me sharpen my own aesthetic. It goes, yeah, it does, yeah. yeah I sort of, like, it does. Yeah, I think actually that's where I'm at. Just as it would be irresponsible of me to not ask about what Roddy Doyle was like as a teacher, it would be similarly irresponsible for me to not ask you what David Bowie was like. Uh, well, he was like, as you really, really hope, like, he, was, he was just like the nicest man, and but also fantastic collaborator. Right. And from like day one, I knew that I was going to have a great time and we were going to have a really sort of like a really open you know fun relationship and we were going to examine the work and examine the form of it and you know uh, and to be sort of to write a work about you know a man who's dying you know like you know while all this shit was going on for day was like was really extraordinary you know i mean i'll of course never have ever that sort of relationship with another collaborator where that's happening to them maybe you know when, when, when I don't know but it was he was aware was really, of his own illness he was aware yeah of, he yeah. was I mean two months in he was aware of it as we were working together and we worked together for uh, about sort of 18 18 months something like that yeah you know so yeah. and yeah 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 he was aware of it and but brilliant with it and just going that's just the way it is and but you could see it sort of seep into the work and you know like there were lines and you know like an of course, you know, like I wrote the words and he wrote the songs, but we really wrote the form. We wrote the world of it together and uh, and we wrote the theme of it, which is the big thing. And that really, that really, you know, that was about, that was just about, I think I, I could see it now. And, you know, like it's just, it's all about him, you know, going through what the hell he was going through. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary, amazing. And, you know, like, and, Evo's production and his aesthetic on 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 that world that we sort of created was just so like whoa, yeah. okay we're gonna do that. <laughs> it was so bold and so right, you know, like, yeah. and uh, and he, you know, for different reasons, of course, he or for probably the same reasons, but anyway, he has a complete, really deep connection with Bowie as yeah. a sort of like as a child, as a teenager, and da da da. So, boom, that was an extraordinary thing, amazing. <laughs> the. Uh, uh and then also going back to the two images from your youth, which you you evoked, the kind of like aspiring rock star. Yeah. And also the eight year old or seven year old child reading the poem about death that is somebody yeah. else's words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to ask you something, yeah. uh, which is a more personal thing, and you can tell me absolutely to fuck off, although you've been on public record about it. Um, what struck? Uh, your dad was a salesman who yeah. fell from grace. Yeah. And which was what happened to my dad. Oh, what really? happened to Joe Pennell's dad? Oh, it's really? an extraordinary thing to see. Really? To see. Yeah, absolutely. And you've spoken really beautifully about the 
the uh, the extent to which you've inherited the mantle of the salesman in your work, just in the That's persona the that you present. It's exactly what happened that. to my dad. My it's dad was a salesman who died when he was fifty-eight of alcoholism, oh my God. lost all his money in his uh, in his late forties. Yeah. And 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 Joe's dad was the same. And Shakespeare's dad and Eugene O'Neill's dad. And I knew that about Eugene O'Neill. Holy <laughs> shit, man! <laughs> Joe and you, holy crap, man! Do you, yeah. st- do you think that's true? Do you still think that's true about your dad? That you're... I do. You know what? I sort of, I understand, you know, from looking at my dad and looking at his business and sort of like in every seven years there was a sort of, there was a, a recession in Ireland, of course, and being around the table and him coming in and having six kids and my ma and sitting down and eating dinner and looking at him. And, you know, I was lucky, and I, this is why I suppose I became a playwright, is that, you know, like during the, you know, in the silences and in the sort of, you know, there's stuff going on, but in the silences, I really looked at, I looked at him and I could tell that poor man was under such pressure, mm. you know, that the business was going to fall apart. Mm. You know, like, and you're looking at that and, you know, it's not about the sort of, you know, the blah, blah, blah. We all know that it's not about that sort of chat, you know, or anything like that. It's like, it's the sort of deep, deep, deep silence that's sort of under underneath it. And sometimes as playwrights, you jump into that. And yeah. sometimes you just place it at the side and the silence is over there. And it sort of detonates everything about the sort of play, but it's always there. But, you know, I think that's it. It's sort of like you really, you sort of, you have a really, well, I don't know. I, I learned a sort of a real deep understanding and connection with what isn't being said. And what isn't being said, how that sort of affects everything. You know, like it affects the body and affects, you know... Uh, affects the person, affects everyone around them, but it affects the form, it affects the, the the actual sort of the makeup, the form of your memory, and how you live. It's no longer the same. It's no longer the day is shaped differently from that moment on, and uh, and that's, you know, yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a shocking thing when you just allow silences sort of gather and fester and create their own sort of logic and. Um, and they smash everything about them and they and then it's all about what that sort of made smashed silence logic thing is now it's not about it's no longer the sort of ABC of your normal world it's about the sort of dysfunction mm. that's uh, that stuff is that stuff is you know you learn you, you can see as a child and then as a playwright you carry it through you go actually that's what we're all doing we're just we're looking at the fucking dirt between sort of like people's nails and we're going yeah I'm going to get in there how has being a father affected your writing? I'm a little bit sort of more frightened, I think. You know, a little bit of that. You know, you get a sense of who you are. I think as a you remember who you were mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, like you get you you're, you know who you're you're a dad and all that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. But it sort of it gives you, a, you as your kid gets, <laughs> as your kid gets sort of older through sort of like you know like like a toddler and then sort of like an eight is now ten. Yeah. You know, I have memories of when I was sort of 10 and you're yes. connecting with that but yes. I feel I feel frightened for her about where, what the world is turning into at the moment we're talking although this will be probably broadcast or podcast uh, at the end of 2016 yeah uh, we're talking uh, just three days four days after the the British referendum on yeah. uh, decide, deciding to leave the EU yeah. and I've never felt uh, a sense of political uncertainty in Britain more acutely than I've felt it in the past week. 
Are yeah. you optimistic? Are you an optimistic person? When 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 this is podcast, say this is podcast yeah. in November, what do you imagine London's gonna be like in November or Ada or Ireland or Ender Walsh? <laughs> oh god. I'm, re- I, <laughs> Sorry, it's I, just... I, I, I'm I'm afraid. I mean like I right. think it's sort of but I think sort of like, you know, Brexit is just the poster boy for like everything else that's sort of happening in in you know, in Europe at the moment. This sort of this this polarization, you know, that's happening in you know Western society and da da da. And I mean, <laughs> it's it's a little bit. I mean, it's happened really fast, right? Do yeah. you feel that? Yeah. Like in the last sort of like seven, eight years or whatever, you know. Yeah. That, you know what's happening in Poland and France and Italy and and here. Austria, recently. You know, yeah. Austria and, and yeah. all that type of thing. And these are so that yeah, I'm I'm fearful. I must say, and I, I, I yeah. You feel for Ada. I sort of am, and you know, I'm thinking, you know, and, and we're having conversations about what are we doing in this country, you know, like, and I mean, like, I mean, Britain has been so good, you know, like, and but it's Britain's really sort of bad at sort of like, at at, at sort of um, talking up itself, you know, like, and England <laughs> is really bad at talking up itself, and just how generous it has been as a country, you know, like, and and all the f- extraordinary, and yes, all the you know the immigrants that have changed this mm. country and made it, you know, like you know, diverse and sort of multicultural and we're all rubbing up against one another. It's exciting. And then something like this happens and then you go, oh, hang on. That's not my version of sort of like of, of, of England. You know, I thought it was that. Yeah. And now we're all sort of like we're stuck in this sort of conversation, this sort of dialect of of actually, you know, like actually what we are and what England is is sort of is completely right wing. And yeah. I don't think you can give in to that. Yeah. You have to sort of look at the It's a not like that. It's sort of like you can't sort of you know, I don't know. I mean, it's fucking shocking at the moment. But you can't allow yourself, you can't talk yourself into thinking that, you know, like, it's full of fucking bad racists, right? Mm. Leeds is just full of people like that. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not, not true. It's just not true. But, you know, but England is so bad at talking itself up that it will, it will, it will, it will, it will talk itself down and spin in those. It's, it frustrates me about this sort of country is that, you know, like, you have such a fucking complicated identity you know about who the hell you are as people do you do you, as white people yeah i'm not talking about sort of you know like other sort of cultures but i just think as sort of white english people it's fucking complicated man do you uh while you look at ireland from the perspective of an emigrant emigre yeah. you look at london from the point of view of an immigrant you see it with the clarity of an immigrant do you do you have affection for this city for this city yeah absolutely yeah i mean the city's been f- extraordinary for Irish people for you know and and yeah and I love it and you know yeah yeah I love it and mm. yeah I mean but it is that weird thing so I'm just like going, oh god right anyway anyway it's sort of you know I, I, I don't know I mean I want to I want to be here and I want to live here and I want to live in London and all that type of thing I would like I would like English uh, yeah, I would like England to sort of rally a little bit you know what rally accent, around itself what accent does Ada speak with She's incredibly posh. I mean, I don't know what your children are like, but like I turn into this sort of like you know this Irish taxi, posh, posh London Irish taxi driver, you know, like sort of driving around these really posh children. And I just go, and the more sort of posh they are, the sort of like the more I just feel like a knacker. I just want to sort of I want to I want to be driving around drinking cans of Stella, and sort of going, what well, over here is that where you want to be, girls? 
and you know because they're sort of like they're all they're all that and you yeah. know but it's fine I know she's in like you know she's a really really good girl yeah. but her accent's pretty sort of like you know she speaks better than I do that's my, sure. my 17 year old yours on occasion he uh, deliberately will pronounce the letter U like a northerner yeah like he'll say bus or yeah. grass although he was born and raised in the east end yeah. of London but he kind of like will, will inherit those vowels as a kind of totem of his northern yeah. heritage my 14 year old speaks like somebody out of EastEnders. Oh, really? <laughs> a little bit posh, like a posh kid on EastEnders. <laughs> like well, where got, do you live? I live in, we live in Bow. Oh, you live in Bow. That's oh. you know, it's, it's right at the heart of that. Yeah. And um, uh, a final kind of question would be about your optimism about theatre. You're going to continue writing in this weird marginal yeah. medium and making theatre. Yeah, I am. You're excited about that. I am because I must say I think I uh, maybe only in the last sort of like f- maybe four years I'm beginning to get my head around actually what I'm trying to do, and it's sort of like I've written like a lot of sort of shows, but I can feel I can feel the work changing, and you know and so, and I can't really articulate where wh- what it's changing into, mm. you know. But I um but I'm excited about that and seeing what direction that work is going to go, mm. and um. Are you writing for the court? Are, you, are they commissioned you? Are they, are well, you know, I never actually take commissions. Right. And sort of like really, you know, like I actually just do it. Yeah. I've actually, I've, sometimes I just, I write stuff. And are there, people will ask me to write it and I go, oh no, fuck it, don't give me any money. Yeah, I said, yeah. I'll just write it and then I'll, I'll either burn it, which I don't do, or else I'll actually go, well, actually I'm going to direct it myself. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, like, and, and, you know, but I don't want to... You know, I mean, people over here in London have been really sort of like nice to me in the, between the national and, you know, and, 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 and here and, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like to sort of enter that, that, that thing. I find it complicated. And when people sort of expect something from me, then I usually do my worst work. <laughs> Is the truth. <laughs> Linda Walsh, thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop.